Welcome to Smart in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. A special welcome to those joining us online. We're talking about food today because <coughs> it was World Food Day on Monday. I'm sure you all knew that. Uh, four kinds of descriptions of food in the Bible. First of all, uh, provision. That begins, of course, with the creation story, the sense that all are provided for by God's abundant creation, the Psalms about bringing forth food in due season, the story of the manna, which is a provision in the wilderness, and it transfers to the New Testament, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, and then culminating in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. That's all about God's provision. And then secondly, pleasure. Uh, if, particularly if you look in a book like the Song of Songs, you've got figs, apples, pomegranates, grapes, melons, and of course, most distinctively, the land filled with milk and honey. And that culminates in the notion of the heavenly banquet, which is a, a pleasure-filled uh, occasion of abundance. Then you've got the notion of food as being about order. Uh, obviously, the disorder that comes about through eating the apple in Genesis chapter 3 uh, in the fall. Then we've got human toil uh, that arises out of the fall in, in Genesis. And then in Leviticus, we've got an elaborate notion of the sacrifice of food. All kinds of sacrifices, burnt, burnt offerings, grain, fellowship, sin, and guilt offerings. And then all kinds of food to be offered. Bulls, rams, birds, grain, oil, salt, goats, and lambs all get to be sacrificed. Lucky them. And then... The fourth and final kind emerges in the New Testament, particularly in John's Gospel, where Jesus talks about spiritual food and I am the bread of life. So that's the kind of fulfillment of the fourth kind of food described in the Bible. Now, it, at uh, Great Sacred Music, we always begin with a hymn that we all sing together, and you can find it on the inside of the sheets. If you haven't got a sheet and you're in the building, they're on the little table most of the way towards the back. Uh, this is a hymn written by Albert Bailey. Who was Albert Bailey? Uh, he was a Congregationalist minister who actually collaborated quite closely on cantatas with William Lloyd Webber. He wrote this in 1961, and it's a kind of model of how those families that say grace would normally say grace. The first verse is about thanksgiving. Uh, the second verse is about gratitude and intercession for those who've made the food. And the third verse is a, is a statement of intercession about those who will go without food uh, today. So uh, you will recognize the tune. You probably recognize it as sung by Cat Stevens, another uh, hymn in the canon. Uh, but actually, it wasn't, the tune wasn't written for either. It was written, it was, it's an old Scottish tune, which is named Bunnison after a village on the island of Mull. So we remain seated, the voices stand and lead us as we sing praise and thanksgiving.
for Christians, the most uh, distinctive form of food in the Christian faith is, of course, the Eucharist. And this takes us to a couple of pieces that we're going to hear now, which you could roughly call off-the-scale Catholic, both written in uh, the 19th century in, in France and both from texts that go all the way back to the 13th century to Thomas Aquinas. He wrote a whole, whole, Aquinas wrote a whole liturgy for Corpus Christi, the festival that celebrates the Holy Communion, particularly the body and bloody, the, the body and blood, excuse me, of, uh, of Christ in the Mass. Um, and he also wrote the whole seven monastic offices in his liturgy for Corpus Christi. The Parnis Angelicus, which we're going to hear first, by, wait for it, César Auguste Jean Guillaume Hubert Frank. Now, you've got to say that's a serious Christian name. Uh, was written, um, this, is, this is the last, well, practically the last section of the whole liturgy and often set on its own. Written in 1872, originally for choir and organ, but also cello, harp, and double bass. Those couldn't make it today, needless to say. Um, it's got, it was sung at the, the funeral of Bobby and Edward Kennedy, if anyone was there. It, uh, it's remarkable because it has this fantastic line that, that crystallizes an extraordinary feature of Catholic faith about the Mass, that the humble shepherd eats his Lord. So the, it's this reversal of the idea of Jesus the Good Shepherd who becomes the Lamb of God who then becomes the bread of the Eucharist and is then eaten again by the shepherd. It's a kind of extraordinary circular idea of Catholic understandings of what it means to participate in the Eucharist. Then we're going to have another element of the Corpus Christi Aquinas text. This is the antiphon to the Magnificat in the Vespers of Corpus Christi, um, O Sacrum Convivium by Olivier Messiaen. Uh, Messiaen believed that plain song was the perfect music for liturgy, and this was his only liturgical uh, motet. Let's enjoy these two ultra-Catholic uh, 19th century pieces together now. <coughs>
Well, we're going to go now from the very dark environment of French uh, Catholic spirituality to a much brisker outdoor Scottish uh, Church of Scotland uh, uh, rendition from uh, the Iona community, John Bell and Graham Maul, who uh, collaborated on many, many projects. And this comes from their collection, Heaven Shall Not Wait. And it's about the call of the first disciples. Um, I, I overheard you all speculating World Food Day. I didn't know about World Food Day. Well, uh, it began in uh, 1979 as a United Nations initiative to commend the date of the founding of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, all the way back in 1975. What country would a food initiative be initiated by. I know this is going to sound like a Christmas cracker joke, but it was initiated by Hungary. How about that? Enjoy that, enjoy that while we enjoy this rather livelier piece by uh, Bell and Moore and set by Stephen Jackson, The Miraculous Catch.
well, we're all going to sing uh, uh, together again now, and we're going to sing We Plough the Fields and Scatter. No uh, need to explain why this is a, a, a hymn about food. Uh, it was published in a German newspaper in 1782 by Matthias Claudius, who's known as the father of German popular journalism. Uh, it's set in the context of neighbors who come to sing a peasant's song, and it became hugely popular in Germany. You've often heard me, those of you who are regular, talk about Catherine Winkworth, who translated so many hymns from German, while Jane Montgomery Campbell got the bug from Catherine. She took um, six four-line verses to make the three eight-line ver lines uh, verses of We Plough the Fields and Scatter that we know today. She chose a German tune to go with it, and it hit the big time in the 1868 appendix to hymns ancient and modern. If you remember, harvest festivals really started to take off at the end of the 1840s, 50s, uh, and so this was published just in time to become the signatune for the definitive British Harvest Festival, which it has remained. Let's remain seated and the voices stand and lead us as we sing We Plough the Fields.
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, various ways to make a donation as you leave with cash in a, in a basket or a swipe card, or you can text, or you can go on the website and donate. Uh, what could be more joyful than to donate to the future of this wonderful institution? Uh, do look out for our sister program, Choral Classics, Cantate Domino is the theme uh, on Sunday at 3.15. And do come back next week if you're in the country and in the city uh, for great sacred music. It's one of our composer spotlights. We haven't done one of those for a while, but Lucy Walker is our composer in residence and we'll be focusing on her music next Thursday. So that's a treat. We're going to finish with another of the many themes of food that we've been exploring in the last half hour. Uh, this is a dynamic Appalachian-style anthem alluding to the Exodus 16 story of the manna in the wilderness when the Egypt, Egyptian, sorry, I beg your pardon, the Israelites were cursing God for having let them out of slavery across the Red Sea and then left them in the wilderness to starve. Uh, and God rains down manna from heaven, but only enough uh, uh, on the sixth day, they're told not to collect enough for the seventh day because they will be given enough and many of them don't trust God. And it's really a story about trusting God. And in this piece by Joel Rainey, the notion of manner is extended to a whole range of forms of trust and sharing food, spiritual food, as well as material food. Thanks for joining us.